0: Our scripture reading today is from Luke 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen.
1: Amen, thank you uh, for being here today and as you can see we are in the middle of a series called Making a Mosaic and we're taking a look this month at the core values of our church of worship, of community and today we're going to look at our core value of mission core value of mission now uh, right away don't get alarmed Uh, don't be scared sometimes uh, I know some of you especially if you're from a more uh, secular or or skeptical background that that word mission may sort of rub you wrong you think of man is this like a a thing where we go in and we destroy culture right Uh, where we force people to believe something where we we come in and it's just like tribalism or manifest destiny or imperialism and me and no it's none of that None of that, so don't, don't be alarmed, don't be worried, and actually, uh, if you are new here today, this is your, your first time, or, and especially if you from, are from a more secular or, or skeptical background, I am so excited that you're here today because I'm so excited about what I, you're going to hear uh, as we get going, and, and I hope by the end of our time today that a couple of things will happen. I hope that, first of all, that your your vision, uh, your understanding of who God is and what he's doing in the world will be way bigger than when you came in. And second, I hope that maybe for some of you, you may just even consider following Jesus Christ, maybe even for the first time a day. But let's talk about our our value of mission. What does it mean to have a mission? You You know, companies have like mission statements, right? Businesses have mission statements. Sometimes families or individuals write out their mission statements. And so I think that churches can, churches should have mission statements, have an idea of what they are about. And so I want to submit to you today that when we talk about the mission of the church, that the mission of the church ought to be, no less than the mission of God." That's my that's my thesis this morning, that the mission of a church ought to be no less than the mission of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of something that's that's just small, that's just insular, that's just looking at it, us for and no more, taking care of our needs like perpetually and forever. I want to be a part of something big, bigger than me, bigger than us, bigger than ourselves, part of God's big something. And And that switch happens for us when we look up and we say this. When we say that, God, we don't just want to ask you to bless our thing, right? We don't just want you to come in and help us do our deal. But the switch happens, the distinction happens, the change takes place when we look up and say, God, we want to be a part of what you're doing. Whatever you're doing in the world, whatever you're a part of, whatever your great vision and plan and purpose is for all of the world, all of humanity, we want to be a part of that. I think the mission of a church ought to be no less than the mission of God. So let's ask the question, well, what is then the mission of God? It's the mission of God. Well, I think a safe place to start today would be to look at the life and the words of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, because for now thousands of years, Christians have said that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, God come into the world. He's God himself sent into the world on a mission. And I think if we can see the mission of Jesus, we can see the mission of God, therefore the mission of a church. All right. Well, what was the mission of Jesus in? Well, it's actually really interesting because I I picked this scripture passage on purpose today, as I always do, by the way. It's not just like a random thing like, oh, where did that come from? No, sorry, bad joke. All right, Uh, but it's going to get better, I hope, if you're lucky. When we look at the scripture passage in Luke 19, Jesus at the end of it gives not only what's considered the summary statement of the gospel of Luke, but he gives what many thinkers, theologians believe is the summary statement of the mission of Jesus Christ. And here's why Jesus came. It says, for, he says about himself, the son of man, that's he's saying, I have come, what? To seek and to save, what? That which was lost. So right away, Jesus is saying, my purpose, I'm here, is to bring salvation salvation to what what was lost what was lost isn't that interesting now think about when he gives this 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 saying it's on the end of that story about Zacchaeus now Zacchaeus was a a wee little man and a wee little man was he yes some of you know that old church song there you go climbed up in a sycamore tree for the lord he wanted to see So Zacchaeus is there. Man, he's the bad guy, the tax collector, the 'er ne'er-do-well in the town. And what happens? Man, a lot of stuff happens, right? Zacchaeus, he's converted, right? He calls Jesus not just rabbi, he calls him Lord, right? You're the leader, the Lord of my life. There's what also? There's also economic restitution, right? Zacchaeus gives his money to make amends for his sins. But there's also community reweaving, right? The outcast is now rewoven into the fabric of Jericho, that, that town. And Jesus sees all of this the restitution the reweaving the conversion and he looks at all of it and he says today salvation has come he looks at all of it he says that's salvation for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost so right away we're seeing that Jesus is using that word salvation in a really broad way isn't he in an expansive way now now you got to ask well okay if that's the mission of Jesus To seek and save that which was lost, we've got to ask now, well, what was lost, right? What was lost? This is a really broad word, not just people alone. Jesus is saying there's lots of stuff that's lost. Well, how do we know what's lost? Well, At this moment, to answer the question, I'd like to phone a friend. Uh, To to, to quote the old, you know, millionaire TV show, let's phone a friend. Actually, not my friend, don't know him, but I have read him. It's a really long book. I read it, so you don't have to, although you're welcome to. We'll see in about two years uh, when you get through it. It's by a systematic theologian named Thomas Oden. And uh, uh, Dr. Oden has this to say about what salvation was. Here's his definition. He says salvation is the action of God, I love this, in delivering humanity. It is the divine work of rescuing fallen creatures in the salvation of humanity. Look at this. God offers what? The recovery of what had been lost in the fall of humanity. All right. He's saying if you want to see what's lost, if you want to see what Jesus has come to seek and save, you've got to go back to the fall. Got all all, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, all the way back to the book of Genesis. And so that's what we're going to go today, to see what has been lost. And as we do so, as we see what's been lost, I want to submit to you and propose to you that you're going to see not just one, not two, not even three things, but there are four main areas of of lostness today, four main things that have been lost. And I hope to show you what God's plan is to recover all. All these four things, I'm going to call them here, the four lost. And as we do so, our, our, our folks in our, our media and tech department have cooked up a, a fancy car for me to drive here. So we're going to test drive this together and see how this goes. Um, we're going to talk about the four losts here. So uh, let's go back and, I, you know, when we go and we're thinking about what's lost, I wonder, I wonder what would be an area, class. glass. Of lostness that we can see all the way back in Genesis 3, if you know your Bible. What's a what's a way, what's an area in which people are separated or lost? People are lost from who? Come on, somebody. Yes, take you. Yes. Yes, you get the gold star today. So God is separated, we see from people. People are separated from God. Let's look at God's words in the garden. He comes to Adam and he asks, uh oh. I don't know why that's oh, oh. God asks, Where are you? God asks, Where are you? Now you never asked this of somebody who's right next to you, right? I mean, you're not asking this of the person sitting next to you today. No, I asked this like when I don't know where my kids are in the house, when they should be doing the dishes, but they're not, right, fellas? Uh, where are you? Why? Because you're lost, right? You're separated from us, and we want to know what's up. Now, God's not asking this because he's not omniscient. He knows where Adam and Eve are. This is showing us, though, there's a lostness. There's a separation between God and people after Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed that did not exist previously. Now, what could help us see what God wants to do to restore, to recover individuals back to himself? What kind of language does the Bible use, right? We've already seen that the, the Bible language for salvation is big. It's broad. I wonder what kind of words that we could use. So let's take a look. How about words... Like this. Words like this. Saved, yeah. Saved, right? People coming back to know Jesus. I was saved in this way when I was 19 years old as a college freshman at the University of Houston. A man came into a room and he prophesied over me. I was born again. There's another great salvation word, right? Born again. Life was changed. I was given new birth. There's 1 Peter 3. There's born from above. about Justification. That's a great Bible word, isn't it? Salvation word. What about this word? Atonement. Yeah. What about this word? Conversion. How about that? Yeah. Conversion. Look at all this language that the Bible gives us to describe what God wants to do in the life of individuals. Could we say then that the mission of God, therefore the mission of a church, is to see salvation come into the lives of individuals? Come on. Yes, I think we could, I think we should, but what else is lost here in Genesis? It's not just God to people, what else is lost? Come on somebody, what what kind of lostness do you see? Yeah, relationship. Uh, how about this one? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there in a second. I've got a plan here, believe it or not. Here we go. Uh, people are lost also from themselves, right? There's a kind of lostness that people have uh, with and to themselves. Let's look in the, in the garden here and see what happens. And God asks Adam, where are you? And this is Adam's like crazy talk, crazy person response here. Where are you, Adam? Adam says this. Well, I heard the sound of you in the garden <laughs> and I was afraid. Because I was naked. So I hid myself. Now, why is Adam afraid of a being that's only showed him unconditional and perfect love? Hmm? Why is he afraid? adam is irrationally afraid he's likely experiencing guilt here from his choices from his disobedience uh, he says i'm naked adam doesn't even really know what that is this, theologians believe this is a way of saying adam is saying there's something that's happened to me my sexuality's been broken something's off in that area in some ways uh, his conscience is seared he's feeling guilt shame fear he says so i hid myself <laughs> why would you hide From someone who's only shown you perfect love, perfect affection? What kind of person hides from someone who only loves them perfectly? A person who's lost. A person who's lost from themselves. See, people are lost from themselves. We act ways. We don't even know what we're doing. Don't know why we feel what we feel. I wonder what kind of words the Bible uses to describe the kind of salvation God wants to bring Within us as people. I wonder if we could use a word like this. How about healing? Yeah, I think there's a good word because people aren't just lost from themselves on the inside. What happens at the end of our existence? These bodies. We lose our bodies, don't we? We're separated. What does God come one day to rejoin? You get a new body, don't you? A resurrection body. There's a a lostness he restores. In the short term, there's healing God does in our physical bodies. How about this? Renewing the mind. There's Romans 12. How about this? Counseling. Oh, Jesus is our who? Our wonderful counselor. Holy Spirit's our counselor, he sends. We have human counselors that help us get past stuff and blocks that we have so we can obey God better. How about the maturing kind of language where we don't think and do stupid stuff anymore? Yeah. How about a word like deliverance? We're freed from demonic forces. How about that word? Freedom, there's a salvation language word. What about this? Peace, yeah, on the inside. Joy, oh, isn't this great? This is the kind of language God uses to describe the kind of salvation he wants to bring to you today on the inside. Could we say then that the mission of God is to bring salvation into the lives of individuals within themselves? I think we could. I think we should. That's the second loss. But what's the third loss? Someone a minute ago mentioned it. People are also separated, not just from God of themselves, but third people are also separated from other people right and come on if you've ever had you know been married for six months you know this is going to happen pretty much automatically but people are separated from people and even in the first marriage we do see this yes adam throws eve right under the bus adam where are you what's happened what's up adam what's going on what's gone down here in the garden adam well god it was the woman you gave me classic response by the way men that's always the wrong answer Adam doesn't just blame God. It's like, you know, by Felicia. All right, sorry, bad joke. I know. All right. See you. Wouldn't want to be you. Not going to need you. I'm on my own. No, you're not going to be. You're stuck because you're married. Adam, it can get better, but you're going to have to work at it. Why? Because now you're separated from other people. There's a kind of lostness that not just people experience with individuals, but that people groups experience, right? Because you move out of the garden. In Genesis 4 now, Cain kills his brother. It gets worse. Chapter 6, Noah, in the days of Noah, it was so corrupt. People treated each other so poorly. God said, I am sorry I even made people at all when I see how they treat one another. They're so lost, so lost. I'm sorry. We're all going through this. So what kind of what kind of language does the Bible use to describe how God wants to bring salvation between individuals and other individuals and even between people groups? What about this word? Forgiveness. Yeah, that's a good Bible word. What about this word? Huh? Justice. Yeah. Did you know that the word justice isn't a secular word, not a liberal word? It's a Bible word. Aren't you glad? I am. What about this word, repentance? Repentance, that's a good Bible word. How about love? Yeah, loving our enemies, Jesus says. What about restitution economically? Zacchaeus does that. He says, here and now I give, right? I give my money to to basically atone for my misdeeds and wrongdoing. And Jesus says, that's salvation. A kind of it what about advocacy when we when we call attention to those who don't have right doesn't god call uh his attention to us right he advocates for us he sends us the holy spirit our advocate right advocacy is salvation language what about this word shalom huh the reweaving of civilization the reweaving of society and cultures what about that word peace yeah that's a good word could we say then that the mission of God is to bring salvation not just into the lives of individuals to God not just to people within themselves but also people to people people group to people group could we say that I think we could I think we should but what about this fourth lost here there's not just a lostness of people to God themselves and others there's also this one come on what's one more maybe Yes, thank you. Somebody knows may know where I'm going with this. There's a loss of people to creation. Now, unfortunately, I don't know why, some thinkers, theologians, don't tend to include this one, but they should because all you got to do is go back to Genesis 3 and look at how much language God uses in there to describe our lostness from the earth. I mean, like half the chapter is talking about it, man, how lost creation is. Look at this, Genesis 3. So much ink is spilled over this. God says, to Adam, curses is the ground because of you and toil to eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles." It shall grow for you. You're welcome, right, Adam? This is saying now the earth, the world is working against you. It's there's not a peace. There's not shalom between you and creation, you and the weather, you and the ground. It's separated and lost, Adam. Oh, hmm. now I wonder what kind of salvation language the Bible uses to describe the kind of change and salvation God wants to bring between people and creation. Hmm. What about this word? stewardship right stewardship now yes you you may say well god didn't he give the earth to us but yeah i think it still belongs to like the creator of it psalm 24 the earth is whose come on the lord's yes and the fullness thereof and secondly i'm pretty sure anything god ever gives you gives us he doesn't mean for us to trash abuse exploit and discard oh oh man yeah that's not good stewardship is it what about this word renewal Didn't the psalmist say, God, you renew the earth. Oh, you renew the earth. What about this word? Making all things new, Jesus says in Revelation. I'm going to make all things, not just individuals. Make the whole world new. What about this word, restoration, the restoration of all things? What about this word, your work? Let me tell you, your work day in and day out, bringing order out of chaos, you clean houses, guess what you're doing? You're bringing order out of chaos. There's a kind of creation care. You you, you do people's hair for a living. You're you're, you're creating order out of chaos. (laughs) Praise the Lord, right? I mean, come on, your work day in, day out, teachers, businessmen, uh, students, teachers, your work is a part of caring for the world in a way. How about your calling? called to do yeah what about this word beauty that's an important word. that's a bible word beauty because why because when you see something beautiful you see a sunset or a mountain range or an ocean or something you don't think we should probably get rid of that you think no we should save that we should preserve that we should steward that why because God made it he's an artist he's a creator could we say then that the mission of God, and therefore the mission of the church, is to see a kind of salvation come between people and creation, I think we could. I think we should. Now, all right, let's back up a bit. Now, depending on your, your church background, maybe your, your upbringing, maybe one of those two or both, a couple of these, you, you know, you're amening more than the rest. You're liking more than the rest. For example, if you're from a, a primarily conservative, maybe even like white church upbringing, European based background, you know, enlightenment based culture where it's primarily all about the individual. I Man, you come into a church and you think it's about numbers one and two, baby. People need to come to know Jesus and they need to be changed, right? And you like that. If you're from a more, I don't know, secular liberal background or secular church background, guess what? Three and four are going to feel a lot more familiar to you, aren't they? Now, I want to just tell you that thankfully for most of church history, uh, the church has kept all of these together. It's only been the last hundred years for a variety of reasons. These things have kind of separated. But I think God's doing a new thing in the world. That's what I'm here to tell you today. God's doing a new thing. He's reconciling all his reconciled stuff. He's bringing all of this stuff back together. The church finally, I believe, is recapturing its identity. Recapturing its vision for its mission to see all these things reconciled. All these things made new. And so I want to just ask now as we do this, well, okay. All right. We've got these things. Well, where do we go from here? Huh? Where do we go from here? Now, if only Jesus had given us like a commission, <laughs> if only he had given us like some words or direction or marching orders or something, we could maybe see what we're supposed to do. Oh, wait, he did. What were his words? Come on, somebody. Yeah, oh, except I just tricked you. (laughs) Because yes, he did say, and some of you were quoting to me because I was totally baiting you there. Words of Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, commonly called the Great Commission. These are the last words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus says this, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. All that I've commanded you. Now, the reason that this is, these of course, these are great words. I love these words. They're words for us. But the problem with these words is two things. Number one, the words great commission don't actually appear in the Bible. They were words that were given to this by 18th and 19th century mission organizations. They were hoping to catalyze missionary activity around the world, take the gospel to India and China, when a time when America was seen as a more Christian place and so they said, we need these words. This is the Great Commission. Go therefore into all the world. And guess what? It worked. It's amazing. That's the reason the gospel is in China, in India, and other places today. But number one, the words Great Commission aren't in the Bible. And number two, we don't just have one gospel come on, how many Gospels do we have? Four, yeah. Four authorized accounts of the life and words of Jesus Christ. And guess what he gives us at the end of all of them? Oh, he gives us a commission at the end of every gospel. Each gospel is a different and unique commission. And therefore, what I want to submit to you today, that maybe, just maybe, in his sovereignty, in his grace, in his goodness toward us, to reconcile a whole world with a big vision, with a big mission, God's given us not just one commission, not just two, but three and four commissions for us today, To reconcile all things to himself, he's given us four gospels, four commissions to speak to and reach and change the four lost. So, with that in mind, let's see maybe how all these fit together. Where do you think this one could go, huh? I think Matthew's commission here, the gospel of Matthew, goes for us here. In the second, in the second uh, loss, where people are lost from themselves. And here's why. Because Adam, right, what did, he, what did he do? He disobeyed and lost himself in the process, didn't he? Lost himself. Now, think about this. Romans says this. What the one man, what Adam lost, through his disobedience... So now the obedience of who? The one man, Jesus Christ, now regains all that. And that's a principle. What was lost through Adam's obedience, Jesus regains for us through his obedience and in a smaller way, friends. What you lose when you disobey, you can regain when you begin to obey Jesus to consider the person maybe who's been unfaithful to their spouse, right? What they lose through disobedience now by being faithful, by repentance, by serving, by loving, by giving, they begin to receive what? A kind of salvation, a saving, a a newness there. Uh, If you've been uh, using drugs, right? Man, you you stop doing that. Uh, Man, shoot, if you've been smoking for 30 years, right, and your lungs are all black, you begin to basically, you begin to obey God's word to you in your body. Guess what happens? Healing begins to come. Your lungs begin to repair themselves. What you lose through disobedience, we regain through obedience. And so this is showing us here, number one, that our choices matter. It matters whether or not you obey the word of God. It absolutely matters. And when you do this, oh, the Bible says, God, your law is perfect. It revives the soul. Obedience is a good thing. It's a good word. It's a blessing to obey God. It changes us. It makes us better when we obey God. But second, this also shows us, hear me, the great need we have for one another. Because what does Jesus say? He didn't say, I'm going to go make disciples. No, no. He said, you go make disciples. You go teach people to obey and some of you today you need this more than you know some of you have been coming here and coming here and someone's invited you to a community group probably a discipleship group likely i hope so maybe even a coffee or lunch and some of you have ignored that person you've resisted that person you think they don't know me they're nothing like me well that's true guess what god's not like you either and he still loves you doesn't he i don't know perfect infallible always in a good mood right i mean always just you know unlimited power you have none of these things and he still loves you wants to move into your life and the fact that you resist someone who's approaching you about discipleship or some kind of community group formation let me tell you it just shows how lost you are from yourself you're so lost you don't even know it but i promise you the people around you know how lost you are from yourself someone's been praying for you to get involved in this discipleship obedience they're good things it restores us to ourselves that's matthew's commission matthew's gospel i wonder which commission which gospel we could use to see god's salvation come between god and people Hmm. i think luke's commission you're waiting for that luke's commission because look at this this is jesus uh, on the day he was resurrected comes to his disciples he says this is what is written Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins, look at these words here, will be what? Preached. Oh, what do we need? We need preaching, right? Because what does preaching do? It brings us, good preaching brings us to repentance. Therefore, to be reconciled to God, this is saying you must repent. Repent. Must repent of your sins. The gospel of me, is for you, is for individuals. We can never lose the fore meanness of the gospel. Jesus came to seek and save sinners, right? That's all of us, right? We need repentance preached to us. And where should we preach this? It says to all nations, all countries, all cultures, all over the world. Now, what do we do here at Mosaic to see this happen? Well, look what we do. We do a number of our Sundays are aimed at this. Uh, A lot of our evangelism trainings are aimed at this. Campus ministry. We're now on four campuses here in the city. UT, Houston, Tillison, St. Ed's, and Concordia. God's doing a great new thing there in our campus ministry. Short-term mission trips. There's preaching there. Preaching. There's more than that, but there's not less. Let me just move back here. I forgot to bring this part in. What do we do here to see salvation come between people? And themselves there's community groups discipleship groups our grow classes leadership 215 counseling we have here inner healing celebrate recovery it's our way of walking out Matthew's commission you just saw Luke's way we walk out that commission what about what about this commission what about the commission we have to bring salvation between people and people whose commission can help us do that huh I think John's commission has. And I want to tell you, I love this one. Look at what Jesus says here. Again, resurrection day. He says, again, peace be with you. What does he say? As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Does that sound like a commission? I think so. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Well, oh, oh, how did the Father send Jesus? What was he actually sent to do? We get a look at it. Jesus tells us that over in the Gospel of Luke. He says this on his first sermon. He stands up. He grabs the scroll of Isaiah and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Come on, what's good news of the poor? It's when there's a way out of poverty. When there's a new economic way, standard of living. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Jesus is saying, man, God sent me to do criminal justice reform. To make sure people who are in jail aren't there wrongly. They're not wrongly incarcerated. Treatment for prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. Jesus is saying, I've come to break the back of bad laws, bad rulers, bad governments. Things that keep people down and oppressed. That's what I've been sent to do. And the spirit of the Lord is on me to do it. And let me tell you, we need the spirit of the Lord to do this in our life, to see criminal justice reform, to see justice come, to see bad laws, bad rules, all those things. God deliver people from those things. He has, and Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Do the same thing. Oh, what do we do here at Mosaic to try to live out John's commission? Well, there's TGA, the gospel and. If you're new, this is our way of having courageous conversations around the topics of race politics diversity things that tend to polarize people in groups we try to actually see people reconciled over the very thing the world says that's going to keep you separated we say jesus we believe you've got a better way we do kai street that's our ministry to the homeless community live oak mentors mentoring at-risk kids short-term missions prison ministry a number of you are involved with this we hope to see more of this in the days and months and years to come live big sunday where we all pool our resources to see some area of our city that's been broken now experience shalom and healing God's touch now some of you come in and you you see this kind of stuff and you you feel this stuff and especially if you're from a church background where there's more numbers one, right? And number two. And by the way, aren't we glad for numbers one and two? Don't the Baptists have like number one down, right? You must be born again. Come on, Baptist. Man, we love it. every Sunday. It's the same cooking, right? Man, it's the same meat, same dressing. You must be born again, and you need to be born again. Jesus says, You must be born again. No man can come into the kingdom unless he has she has been born again. And you need that. We need number one. And we also need number two, don't we? Our friends at like Bethel, huh? Friends at Hillsong. Don't they do that? Well, seeing people transformed on the inside. We're transformed by this one thing. That's a Bethel song we sang this morning. We love that. Seeing worship come, people delivered, set free, demonic stuff be broken. That's a kind of salvation. We love them. Now, how about number three? Don't our our friends here uh, uh, in, in more black and brown churches, I think they know a thing or two about justice, They've carried the burden for that for years when majority culture churches didn't want to hear it. We can learn a thing or two from them. And we get to number four, we'll see. In our mainline friends, uh, church, friends in mainline churches, they've carried a burden for creation care. Don't you think we ought to be able to learn from them? Stewardship of God's earth? See, we need the whole body of Christ to do all this. But if you're coming in and you're from a more background, church background of one and two, you come in and you're saying, whoa, what's that feeling? Man, I'm getting kind of disoriented. You know, like, man, what's happening? I'm feeling out of joint. Like I'm not like on top anymore. Churches isn't just all about me as an individual, me getting more classes, me getting more teachings, me getting more trainings. It's actually not just about individuals. It's about groups and cultures and people groups and the whole world and government and like creation. Man, what's that feeling? Let me tell you what that feeling is. It's not disorientation alone, it's your heart getting bigger. It's your heart getting bigger. Guess why? Because now you need the whole Bible. You need the gospel of John. You don't just need Mark's commission. You don't need Matthew's commission. You need John. How many of you need John? I need John. We need the gospel of John. We need the whole Bible to reach the whole world. It's your heart getting bigger. You're not leaning on more resources than you had before. What about uh, number four? What about the ways in which we can steward creation? And before I show you this, I just want to candidly acknowledge our church needs to do better. In this area I think we do one two and three really pretty well when it comes to four we've got some room for improvement our action here well a number of things we do in the area of your work we'll have a work as worship big event for you, business people coming up in the near future we'll let you know we do these strategic life alignment classes connecting your calling right what God's made you to do to your work the Go strategic conference coming in March again give you a heads up on that but again we need to do better to do better when it comes to this number four, this kind of salvation. Now, as you see this what do, you, what do you feel? What do you see that you need? Now, I hope you see, first of all, I hope that you see that you need the whole Bible for the whole world because God's got a big vision, isn't he? And I want to tell you, I, I'm so encouraged because I believe, church, that we can do all of this, at least in part. We can walk this out, not just be, you know, limping along, kind of halfway, one and two over here or three or four over here. I believe we can be all of this because the mission of the church ought to be the mission of God in the world. So number one, we need the whole Bible that means also number two we need you in that section number one man you've got a gift for preaching you've got a gift of evangelism you love reaching people sharing faith we need you to be you Every day, day in, day out. Number two, those of you who lead community groups, oh, we need community group leaders. We need disciple makers. We need teachers. We need grow class leaders. All of this, we need you to be you. Number three, you feel like you've got a burning passion for advocacy, for justice, for reform somewhere. We need you to be you number four you say man i've got a heart for creation care for stewardship of the earth we need you to be you we need all of this we need all the body of christ and let me tell you what happens when we don't have all four of these if we only have one and two here's what happens it means people like me are the heroes and all the other church members are the zeros guess what if you don't have a theology of work come on what are you going to do every day If the only people that really, if all that really matters to God is just individuals being converted, then why do the rest of us get up and go to work? Why bother? Why not just, man, God just take a shotgun out back, send us on to glory, right? Come on. Oh, maybe, maybe he's got a big plan for the whole world that involves the gifting and calling he's put in you. Come on. But if we just throw it to three and four and we don't keep one and two, guess what happens? Now churches don't matter right faith communities don't matter preachers evangelists we got all the giftings all the people all the body of christ we need everyone which now leads me to this way of applying this message i want to just briefly apply this in three ways before i close with the final concept three ways i'll apply this this morning here are three things i hope you'll see from this that you need number one you need to see that we are all less important than we thought Here's what people do, churches do, ministries do. They say, you know what? The world needs more of us. The world needs more of me. And so we put down, right? We denigrate other people's ministries. We think, oh, we, you know, they're doing it wrong. Well, we're really doing it right. And it'd be easy to do this with your own church, for me to do this. But no, we are less important than we thought. We need the whole body of Christ, every church in this city, being who God has made them to be. Number one, we're less important than we thought. But number two, We are also far more important than we thought as well, because again, it's going to take everybody's gift, everybody's ability, homemakers, teachers, uh, scientists, water engineers, chemical engineers, people understanding how to preserve the earth, people doing all kind of work in government, civil servants, diplomats, politicians, professional athletes too. Yes, everybody, right, doing this. We're all more important than we thought. But this one also, it also means, finally, we, we can't say certain things anymore. Here's what I mean. You can't say, God cares about this over here, but not that over there. Let me give you two examples. First, I've heard people say, maybe you have too, you know, if all we do is just feed the hungry and we don't preach to them, all we're doing is fattening them up for hell. Yeah. Hope that's dumb. It should. It's offensive. But I would hope, if you're offended by that, you're equally offended by someone who would say, well, you know what? I don't think God really cares how I live. I don't think God cares about my sexuality, how I express myself. I don't think God cares about what I do with my money. He really cares about hungry and starving people on the other side of the world. See? That's a separation God hasn't made. And what God has joined together, if you'll pardon the expression, let no man put asunder. God cares about all things. And how many of you know, that's a smokescreen really for saying, God, you can't come into that area of my life. No, can't say those certain things anymore. Now, finally, let me do this. So far, I've just presented these, put these up in sort of columns or grids or quadrants to kind of present them in 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 one way to push maybe on some of your thinking to introduce some tension into the room, into your theology. But finally, I want to suggest this as maybe a final and better way of combining all these things, and not just grids alone or quadrants, but really... As concentric circles where one's at the center, two surrounding it, three is on the outside, and then four there. And here's why. You say, well, Morgan, that kind of like diminishes the importance of the others. No, no, no. It actually sets them rightly, and here's why. For example if you were to go after number two you say i just want freedom man i want to be free on the inside i want to be you know i just want to experience personal freedom be right on the inside if you don't have at the center of you at the center of yourself a right relationship with god a right relationship with jesus a heart that's been transformed and purified and washed by his blood your freedom in the end will not only be an idol it'll crush you it'll be perverted it'll be twisted just like the fish that says oh i don't want to stay in the fishbowl i want to get out of that fishbowl that that fish, that water's too narrow. It's too constrictive. I need to be free, brother. I'm going to hop out of that thing and flop onto the lawn. What happens? Fish gasps, suffers, dies. Why? Because it's not in the environment it was made for. Being in the right environment isn't constricting. It's liberating. The beauty of the fish is brought out. The freedom of the fish is brought out. And to go back into the heart of God to be reconciled with God number one. Now as a person is to be brought back into the environment your life and heart were made to swim in. You go after number two without going after number one. Your freedom will be a curse in the end. Same way for number three. If You say man I got a heart for justice. I got a heart for bringing justice in the world of redeeming structures. Man good go after that. But if you go after justice and you don't do the hard work of reconciliation to God and healing on the inside your justice in the end will be turned into revenge it'll be just a way of getting people back you'll call it justice but it'll feel like revenge a way of putting someone else down to get back at them because you haven't done the hard work of forgiveness first and fourth if you go after creation care you go after stewardship of the world but you don't have at the center of you jesus is god jesus is Lord. guess what will happen the beauty of the world god has made will trick you It'll fool you. You'll make it an idol. It'll be the thing you worship and serve. It, it's oh, That can happen. The world's a beautiful place, but nature isn't what we worship. It's a created thing. We worship the one who has created it all along. And so number one, Today can be your day to maybe follow Jesus for the first time. And I hope that if that's you and really for all of us, that we would see God is for us. He's got a big vision. He's got a big mission. He's got a big plan. And he's calling Mosaic Church to be a part of that and to see all things made new. Let's close with this final verse. Paul sums it up this way in Colossians. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to himself. What? Individuals? No. Structures? No. Creation? of no. What? All things. Whether things were on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, he says, this is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to what? Every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Oh, my prayer is that we would be servants of that same gospel today.